Welcome to season three of the Beyond Capital podcast. People always ask me, what is the secret sauce to marrying profit with purpose? We're back for another season to bring you the stories of successful leaders that are building and scaling purpose-driven businesses. I'm Eva Yazari, general partner of Beyond Capital Ventures. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Scoot. Together, Eva and I have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We want to show you how conscious leadership translates impact in all facets of a business and how it can show up in a company's operations, product, and culture, sometimes unexpectedly. Whether you're a leader of a company, team, household, or just yourself, we hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of impact for you and feeling inspired to take action every day. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guests are two very special people, Eva and me. It's us. <laughs> special catch-up episode. What have we been up to? Season three. Let's do it. We're really excited to dive back in. We have been away probably for over a year, and we know that our audience is looking for more and, and enjoy has enjoyed our episodes in the past. But we didn't want to jump back in, especially post-pandemic, without talking about where we are That's and right. what we've been up to. I'm in a good place. How about you? Great place. Good. Yes. Okay. Is that the end of the episode? <laughs> no. So let's let me dive into the Yeah. Details. Let's start with you, Ed. Everybody knows you as the host of this podcast, but there's a lot more to your day-to-day. You're a, a founder. You're a serial entrepreneur. You're an investor. You're also a parent. And you are, uh, and we'll get to this later, a creative spirit as well and a, an art lover. So I would love for you to just update us on, on your background and, and talk about what you've been up to. Well, first of all, I'm extremely happy about my new vertical garden. So I'm a gardener as well. I never thought that I would be a farmer. I don't like the dirt in my fingernails, but hydroponic is really the way to go. And no, for those of you out there, it's not weed. It's like kale and other types of it's illegal in the state of texas to grow weed so yes (laughs) well that's never stopped me before (laughs) there's a fine line between legal and and should be legal correct (laughs) we can get into this later (laughs) but anyway yeah so um i've I've basically been building out my most recent company appreciate which is now rebranded to scoot So we're building this amazing virtual meeting platform that allows you to create what we call a Scootiverse, which is like a little mini metaverse for corporate meetings. And you can move around in it and you can decorate it, um, but it's lightweight. You can access it from a phone, from an old computer, anywhere in the world, no matter what your Wi-Fi is. And most importantly, you don't need any special goggles. But that business just recently uh, raised a big slug of new capital, about $12 million. And we did the rebrand to Scoot, hiring a bunch of people. So it's really kind of now off on the race for, you know, building a big new meeting platform for companies all around the world to use. So that's kind of my main gig, but I still do a lot of active investing. One of my companies, DemandQ, is doing amazing things with kind of grid stability and reducing the peak demand for energy in big uh, 
energy markets. And I won't bore you with the details of that, but it's a super cool company. And, uh, you know, as more and more cars electrify the grid and the number of power plants aren't going to expand at the same pace. So we have to find ways to reduce the peak amounts that we consume so that the existing infrastructure can serve a higher load of um, electric vehicles. And then quite recently, I just invested in a new company called Cellucomp, which is making a very exciting plastic replacement for packaging for consumer products, goods manufacturers, and they use the byproduct of beet sugar manufacturing. I don't know if you know this, Eva, but 40% of the world's sugar is made from sugar beets. I had no idea. Nobody knows that. Yeah. And where are they grown? They're really grown all over. I mean, Minnesota, northern areas in the U.S. um, tends to be a little bit more of a northern kind of crop. I don't know why that is, but I know they grow a bunch of it in France, too. If we could go like Tim Ferriss deep on this, I've actually been meaning to ask you some questions. Are these the beets that I would buy in the supermarket and eat as a a daughter of an Eastern European family? (laughs) No, sugar beets, (laughs) they, they don't look that different. They just are kind of uglier and they're sort of pale and they look like a turnip. Okay. So they're not like purple and yellow and golden and beautiful and the texture is rougher and coarser. Um, So no, you don't eat them. And does this become like the domino sugar that we all know in the U.S., like your white sugar? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they basically, and and right up there in Minnesota, there's all these different towns that have like a sugar beet processing plant right there. And they take it and they, I guess you could kind of squeeze it out, you know, you boil them and squeeze it out. And then there's this stuff that's left over, which is a fiber. Mm -hmm. And that fiber is what you can turn into, you know, a fiber-based material that you can mold. Same as you do with wood fiber, you know, like paper or a milk carton or whatever kind of paper thing you can, you can wet mold or dry mold wood fiber. But wood fiber is super duper long. You can kind of think of it, it looks like thread. And that's because trees are really tall. And so the fibers are really long. And, and that means that they don't have a lot of lateral strength. But sugar beets are small and little compact, and so their fibers are more compact and squished, and so you can interlock them easier. They, they lock together easier. And so when you take these beet sugar fibers, smush them together and process them according to the way this company does it, then you can wet mold or dry mold that into a yogurt container that doesn't get soggy. That's incredible. It is. And, sh- and is the competitor sugar cane? To just the sugar market oh, or I in think any so. way, shape, or form? Yeah, I think so. Them. I don't actually know if the sugar... I think it's just normal sugar. That's what I understand. I don't really eat sugar. Me neither. Oh, yeah. So are you on a new diet? I'm still... Well, was I vegan before and I'm keto now? I think now? so, yes. Yeah, so now I'm keto. How's that going Mostly for Mostly keto. It's good. Yeah, it's great. My mind is clear. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing. Absolutely. And I'm not as fat as I would be, I think, if I was... I still... Super Bowl Sunday, I fell off the wagon, though. I ate a lot of carbs. <laughs> it's Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it, was a, it was a train wreck of carbs. Yeah, these things happen. How about you? What have you been up to? Thank you for asking. After we finished our last season, I closed the venture fund that I think I referred to in our special episode, actually, right, That's right. as we were finishing up this season. And that's been incredible. We already have eight companies in the portfolio. 
We are sitting on two boards, businesses from healthcare in Africa, rolling up health facilities, hospitals, clinics across the whole African continent, all the way through India's largest exporter of artisan goods, um, which you would be surprised how many artisan goods we kind of use day to day or um, Crate and Barrel and, and West Elm actually sell. And so I'm riding the wave of massive demographic shifts, massive growth in GDP in the emerging markets where we invest and having an impact at the same time. And have we'll, we'll dive more later in this episode, but have really rethought a lot of the impact that we're having and how it does relate directly to conscious leadership. So how many companies do you think you're going to invest in in the next 12 months? In the next 12 months, we will invest in about seven to eight businesses, which will probably comp- like almost complete our initial deployment. We'll probably have 16 to 18 companies in the portfolio. But then as a VC, just to unpack the, the playbook, you typically reinvest in a certain number of companies in the portfolio. So you have a specific number of investments and then a higher number of transactions because you do add capital um, and put more money into businesses that you would like, you know, stronger allocations to. Um, So we will be active over the next two, three years in our kind of investment and then follow on deployment. And then we'll also be, you know, increasing the firm AUM and raising additional funds to meet the needs of our market, not only on the equity side, but we're also going to be raising a debt fund and focused on providing a competitive line of credit to some of the companies in Africa that we've already done due diligence on. So this might be a secret, so mm-hmm. don't answer it if it's going to sure. give it all up. But some investors are like, I'll bet on the manager, kind of even if I don't like the idea. Some are, I'll bet on the idea, even, even if I don't like the managers of the company. What is your feeling about that? Yeah, I think we're right in the middle. And it's not a secret. I think the challenge with investing in a person who either doesn't know, understand, or have the capability for one reason or another to get their market right, and especially their kind of product market fit, is that you could just fund an entrepreneur that pivots to something that you don't want to be invested in. And then on the business side, execution. Oh, yeah, you have to choose because you're, you, you wouldn't want them to choose something that was like radically not good for the world. Well, I think this is where the conscious leadership scoring system that we've developed comes into play. I, I actually don't think that we would ever fund a person who was not values aligned. And as you know, Ed, on this show, we've had very kind of deep rural Indian founders of businesses distributing using female workforces all the way through the CEO of Smoothie King, who views impact and purpose very differently than other businesses that we've interviewed. And so the way it is for us is the kind of the actual secret sauce, and this is the way I describe it, but it's not something I don't want to share with this audience at all, is that the conscious leader drives the impact. So I don't think we would invest in somebody that pivoted to to like a sin industry necessarily. It's just whether they're pivoting to a business model that we're comfortable with and that we kind of selected for investment and tested through our due diligence process or not is unknown. But on the business side, if you're funding an idea that you love with a poor person who's poor at execution, then you're never going to add up to success. 
um, or if the team is not that. right. Yes, but we are not a majority um, investor. And I would say that like founder replacement and VC is it's quite so rare. Yeah, it's very rare. I mean, A, somebody has to, you have to love what you do, right? And passion is so much a part of being a founder. You know this. I don't know how I would find anybody to be a Exactly, founder. exactly. I so don't you, even know how, I actually think it's harder to be an investor than it is to be a founder. It's funny because I've heard you say that before. I think so. And I think it's harder to be a founder than to be an investor. <laughs> and it's because, you know, I, yeah, I wake up in the middle of the night occasionally, you know, when demonetization happened in India, that was concerning. How would it play out in my portfolio when the war in Ukraine started? I was obviously very concerned on getting a handle and, and, and really grappling with like how inflation and commodity prices rising would translate in my portfolio. But I don't wake up saying, oh my God, I have to make payroll for my entire team and I have to sell this product in order to do that and I need working capital at a specific interest rate and I need my cash conversion cycle to be much shorter than it is. Those are very daily and immediate needs, whereas I think as an investor, you get to actually take a 10,000 foot view. That being said, we are very active, but... I'm the shoulder that's being cried on, and I'm typically not the one crying. <laughs> that's such a sad scene, a founder crying on your shoulder. It's happened, male and female. I don't. I really don't want to gender stereotype at all. I wasn't all. stereotyping. It, I know you weren't at all, but I, I always like I to cry. point out I that, cry. yeah, it's, it's healthy. <laughs> I mean, the cliche, I did cry at the end of Old Yeller. Okay. Do you even know what that no, is? No, I don't. <laughs> oh my God. There's a generation I'll look gap it up. here. I'll look it up. I think it Jesus. was a, cre creates a great show. Um, Saddest book ever written about a golden retriever. No. Like dies. I don't know. If, okay. They have so to shoot it. They have to shoot the dog. Oh, that's so terrible. It's terrifying. Sad. It's a, like a middle-aged kid story. Mm. Yeller. It's oh. probably not read anymore because there's probably some gender bad stuff in there that, you know, mm. is not relevant for today. Maybe that's why they don't read that. Maybe that's why you didn't read it. I mean, my son... The nuns made me read it. Yes, the nuns. I had the nuns too. Oh, you did? Yes. Yeah, so you went to Catholic school. This is part of our audience I getting did. to know. Yes. I did. I did. I went to a Catholic grade school, St. Michael's school. And when I was in second grade, I, about generally speaking, I had a good experience with the nuns. But I'm a kind of person who can get along with just about anybody in the world and stay, kind of figure out how to stay out of their bad side. But I remember one time, I, I won't mention his name, but I do remember his name. He was, it was a horrifying scene mm -hmm. in second grade. Mouth taped shut. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Pretty weird. That was definitely reformed by the time I went to Catholic school. But yeah. we had a, a principal named Sister Rose, who's still an icon for me. So Still somebody I look up to. But she was tough and she would scream, hit the deck to 300 girls and we would just be at attention right away. Hit the deck? Yeah. Like Maybe hit the deck. I'm not sure. <laughs> she just was screaming that something. That usually means get on the ground. <laughs> yeah, I know it does. But we didn't do that. But, you know, we were, we were ready. And, you know, speaking of kids, that's something, you know, we both, we both have kids and I know yours are, are older than mine. But my daughter oh, my. just turned four. So I... Your youngest turned four? Yeah, my youngest just my turned youngest four. My youngest just turned 24. Oh, wow. Or 25 even. Congrats. But, but he's engaged. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you got a ways to go. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, no, he, he's, he's engaged to a Brazilian girl. That's amazing. Yeah, that's multicultural. Great. A couple other updates 
on me, I invested in in two incredible fund managers, kind of post-pandemic. Who's that? Can you say? Alante Capital, which is a circular economy fund for basically the future of textiles and how we consume. So fabrics, models for purchasing, whether it's new or used clothing, models for um, fit, like fit technology. Um, They kind of do everything in that spectrum, including even fermentation-based fabrics as well and threads. And then supply chain. What is a fermentation-based fabric? Yeah, so actually I've learned a lot. Is that what it's like when it's in my laundry basket and I pull it back out and wear it again? (laughs) Not quite, not quite. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. I think this is a, it's a, it's a great, there could be some overlap with the beet sugar. Quick eyeball test. In in your world. (laughs) I've learned a lot about this because Man, my husband, for part of last year was running a carbon negative biotech. And um, he since exited the business, but it's a business that took carbon out of the air and turned it into all sorts of products. So it could be food, it could be fuels, it could be threads, it could be fish feed. And there was actually a study that they did with their fish feed and so it was a carbon negative process to make fish feed other other than, you know, creating some sort of agriculturally based fish feed or feeding fish other fish, which is also done. And so a couple of these applications are what we wear and also what we eat. And funny enough, both of the venture funds that I invested in Alante Capital and Supply Change Capital both have this theme in their portfolio of fermentation Byproducts, And so it's either using carbon or using sugar. And just like making beer, having very large vats that ferment the carbon-based product and then creating a protein from that. And that's pretty much where my pay grade on this one ends. So it was Alante and supply change? Supply change. And supply change is a food culture and a diversity and climate fund through the lens of food, investing in brands that are for a specific niche in the U.S. market, investing in, they have a a fermentation-based seafood company, so like a vegan seafood and a carbon-neutral seafood company, but obviously seafood alternative, and just taking a different lens to the food system. And that was great great founders um, of that fund, great general partners who came out of the food industry. One of them worked at Farmer's Fridge. Interesting. So what else? Is that it? Well, what's new for what's next for Beyond Capital Fund? Yeah, so our our next deal is hot uh, deal. It's it's a hot deal. It is. We're co-leading an investment into a drone-based healthcare delivery company. So it's kind of skipping the infrastructure that exists or is insufficient or just doesn't exist to get blood vaccines, long tail drugs, essentially high cost payloads. Yeah. To more kind of peri-urban areas and they're creating their own drone. So it's actually our first almost like hardware business and, and business that's uh, creating its own technology and it has it has kind of an R&D component to it as well. So that's our next deal in the portfolio. How, what's the farthest you've ever gotten on a deal then stopped it? It happened on Monday. Oh, really? We had an IC meeting and we decided not Wait, to Wait, what forward. does IC mean? Investment committee. Thank oh, you. Oh, um, many acronyms in the world of VC. Yeah, I hate acronyms. Okay, I will make sure to. Oh, you can use them, them all for you. you what they mean. Absolutely. 
I'm so dumb when it comes to acronyms. <laughs> so we got all the way to IC, did a tremendous amount of work, um, including um, obviously visiting the company and spending time with them for multiple days. And we decided that it wasn't the right opportunity for us simply because I think it was, we saw some execution risk. So kind of to your point of founder fit or business fit, um, in this case, I think we liked the team, but we were a little bit worried about the execution piece of the model. I see. All right. So what else we got here? Last season. Yeah. Well, we had, I mean, we began recording season season one in 2019, and then we had season two kind of cross through the COVID period. Even since 2021, when we stopped recording, the world has changed a lot. So I would love to hear from you, you know, how have you changed? And also how, how do you think this season will be different? Well, I was just thinking about that. I've gotten more, I've never been really responsible for booking the guests. That's something that Eve and her team have always done. And I think I maybe have brought a couple, but I remember, you know, early on thinking that some people seem to be sort of more, you talked about impact oriented or purpose driven. Some of them were a little bit more obvious than others. And the Smoothie King one's a pretty good example. Less obvious. Right. You know? And I've gotten more generous in my interpretation of that over time, partly because I think it's, you know, it's, it's hard to know exactly where people are making a difference just superficially looking at, you know, some are better promoters than others. Some might be doing really amazing work, but just not packaging it up in a way that press picks up or that sounds kind of on trend. And so I've gotten more generous in the way that I think about. And it brings me all the way back to my very first experience with conscious capitalism when I met the Bob Chapman, the, the CEO of, I think it was... Oh, berry manufacturing, some kind of company that makes machines for food manufacturers. This is just like an ordinary, outside looking in, an ordinary manufacturing company. They just make machinery. But he spoke very eloquently at this seminar. When I first, first was exposed to conscious capitalism, it was at Esalen at this seminar. And he just mentioned about how if I just send my people home at night in a mood with enough energy to really be present, you know, for their kids and for their families when they get home, you know, so that they can interact with them on homework and, and read stories to them and not just kind of collapse on the couch that among the 10,000 or more employees that they have that they kind of multiplied across all the kids that, that were being affected by like energized parents arriving home from work versus depleted parents arriving home from work, that that single thing alone would have this, you know, massive positive effect on the world in like crime statistics and so on and um, school and education so on and so forth and so you know that was a pretty you know that wouldn't necessarily make the top stage of some impact summit or whatever but that's a a subtle and I I guess I've experienced that over and over again to the point now where I um, I'm a lot more generous about the way I think about people having impact I couldn't agree more and I think that this show has taught me that exact same thing And I think I've constantly been frustrated with the impact space and how it is not inclusive. It is somewhat of an insider club from time to time. And what we've done here is we we have had broader impact guests, you know, guests that maybe describe their impact as one may describe it as climate, one may describe it as social, another may run a nonprofit. 
And another may just be an incredible leader who, as you mentioned with Bob, applies that philosophy to how they run their company. And so I think what we, what our guests can expect are probably a continuation of those guests that are walking the talk, but in their own authentic way. And our job is to help highlight that. And a, a couple of my favorite episodes, it's so hard for me to say one, are Shadi Bakor. Do you remember Pathwater, the, um, the aluminum water bottles? Oh, I do very well. Yeah. And I, I think Shadi's doing extremely well. It, in, if you walk into San Francisco airport, especially in their new terminal, Harvey Milk, the Harvey Milk terminal, you see his bottles absolutely everywhere. He really has the tailwind of you know, single-use plastic becoming um, either banned by city governments or just out of favor by consumers. And then the, the other episode I loved was Marcy Zaroff of uh, Eco Fashion Corp, who runs Yes And, and it's a company that is completely sustainable in their supply chain. In fact, they own their supply chain of the organic cotton in India, and they bring affordable products to the market for everyday use. I mean, she's definitely a, a pioneer that has inspired me since since we ended the season. What about you? Fashion's a tough one. Going on by definition, fashion is mm-hmm. short term. The favorite episode for me, you know it, it's Jeff Brown. <laughs> yes. Brown's Grocery Stores in Philadelphia. It's hard to imagine somebody who's made a bigger impact just you know, day in and day out on so many tens of thousands of people. You know, he's running for the mayor of Philadelphia now. Yes, I can't yeah. wait to watch that race. Yeah, so um, pretty cool guy. Actually, I'd love to have him back on. We should. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, pretty pretty cool. Just the idea that, hey, we can have these really amazing grocery stores in the middle of these food deserts in these really poor neighborhoods, but that the the core way that it comes together is by creating community among these disparate kind of like you know Muslim, African-American, Hispanic populations that normally don't cooperate well together and that you know, they kind of do cooperate and come together so that they can all share this kind of uh, resource. That was pretty amazing. I agree. I couldn't agree more. It was, it was extremely inspiring. Talk about that guy all the time. Switching gears a little bit, I know you do have an importance of creativity in your life. And we also collaborated on a fun YPO webinar on digital art in 2021, I believe. How has the kind of digital art piece of Ed Stevens evolved since we last ha- finished do, our season. Do you know I almost became like an artist? I didn't know that. Did you know that? No. Yeah, my major was Russian literature. Oh, wow. Back in the day. And I almost went, I was kind of in semiotics, which is sort of like the study of communications at large. It's sort of like, think about linguistics that includes signs and and visual communication. Sort of Semiotics sort of encompasses linguistics and then all other forms of visual and communication types. And I got really into that. Um, got really into film, wrote a ton of poetry. Then I kind of fell into business and I realized that, you know, starting a company is like the ultimate Lego project. Yes. You know, there's just so many dimensions to a company from, you know, the creation of the actual product to the inner workings of the operations and the all the changes that take place from two people in the company to 200 people or more art in general you know is just something that I don't really think is being different from the rest of my life it's just kind of part of it I've been very interested in mostly immersive 
Actually, the funny thing about art for me is that the art that I'm most attracted to is the art that you really can't own, mm. which is like more Donald Judd style, you know, art that is installed or can be experienced, but you wouldn't like hang it on your wall or buy it or put it like James Terrell. Yeah. Or, have you been done to Marfa? I have. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a spiritual experience for me to see the Judd Foundation and then the Chinati Foundation with the, like... Mm-hmm the large military barrack full of his sculptures mm-hmm. and then all the Dan Flavins with the light. Yeah. The Flavin stuff was wild. Definitely Marfa is, I wouldn't say for anyone, but definitely for, for the right type of person going out to West Texas sort of strips it all away. And then there's just this art there. It's very, very cool. So I love that kind of art probably more than any. And um, someday I'm going to do a big art project, but I don't know what it's going to be yet. I can't explain it. Awesome. That's great. For me, on the creative side, I, I agree with you. I think there is a, there's absolutely creativity in starting a business. I think there's creativity in investing in businesses, and it is something that I really enjoy about being an investor. But on the art side, I have expanded my collection of female artists and artists of color a little bit more, and I'm trying to keep that within the kind of wall sculpture space. So I'm Why? something... You know, it just adds dimension. I I have a collection of prints and photographs, and that's not three-dimensional. It's just a a work on paper. But why wall sculptures? Space. I mean... Oh, as opposed to one that goes in the middle of the room, you mean? Correct, correct, correct. So it's just a practical... Yeah, I mean, I do have pieces that are not on the walls, but I think it's just a matter of space and storage. I mean... I love art so much. I think one day I'll definitely end up having a, a dedicated storage to art because to me it's it's a collection that lives almost within me and it doesn't have to be on the walls. But what I love about art is that it's a way to express my values. It's it's one of the tools. And so I think some of the themes of what we've been talking about today is, you know, this show, our work, our family, our families, our creative sides and how we express them. And maybe how they, you know, bring to light a piece of us. And I've kind of had this epiphany of, well, if I'm interested in, you know, gender equality, if I'm interested in racial equity, then these are things I can actually apply to my art collection as well. Um, Do you ever make any art? That's a great question. I have had uh, inspiration in the past. I, I, I don't know if you know that I studied math. So I've I've thought about kind of using the theme of math. What about generative art? What's generative art? That's like where you write a computer program that oh, no. draws the art? No. Algorithmic art? No. My background was like writing out proofs. So oh one my of my God. early ideas, yeah. It I hate was, to tell you that sounds so bad to me. It's I, not I easy. I wasn't bad at math. I got as far as differential equations in college. Mm. It's not too bad. No. Made it through college calculus, but man... Math was never came easy to me. It's a whole other language and you basically have to get lost in it. And that's kind of what I liked about it. But I did think a lot about creating a, a that's what wallpaper. That's how I feel about cupcakes. <laughs> I should have brought you one. We have them left over from the birthday party. Yeah. I just so, want to get lost in the world of cupcakes, please. Oh, I'm sorry. Back to math. No, no, no. I just, that, that's been an inspiration of mine to create art. But I think it's become a, an issue of, of just resource and time for me and time being the main resource. Yeah. So last thing before we get into the rapid fire. So you hosted this incredible meeting in Miami 
around investing. It was, and yeah. I would love to hear what your takeaway was from the investors that came and spoke from around the world. Why don't you go first? I was thinking about yeah. it, but I might change my mind. Okay. So, you know, my, well, aside from the, the emerging markets theme that was present, um, because you also had an incredible speaker in the former CEO of Geo, one of India's largest and the fastest growing mobile network um, owned by the Ambani's. What really stood out to me was the theme of kind of creating something new that would be exciting to investors. So in addition to enjoying the speakers, I also got to watch the participants and observe what they were gravitating towards. Yeah, because this are this was a conference with you know people like Eva who were kind of talking about what types of investments they make, emerging markets, but then there were also a bunch of people who just are investors. Absolutely. And, and they, you know, so that's what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and there was a, a concept that was pitched that was similar to what we do in our fund where we give the percentage of the profit share to every founder in the portfolio. And this concept was a way to create a portfolio of founder equity and then provide founders with liquidity. And I thought that that was really cool. It's called collective equity organization or something like that. Another acronym. A CEO. Exactly. <laughs> Gag me with a spoon. <laughs> so what about you? Well, I mean, on a very tactical level, I was intrigued by the analysis that, you know, here we are, it's February of 2023 when we're recording this. And so it was clear that deep recession is not in the cards very, very unlikely, and that if there is one, it's going to be pretty mild. And there were a bunch of economic reasons for that. That's important, you know, especially if you're sort of like in my space, I'm in tech and, you know, I'm thinking about which companies I want to double down in or which of my investments or whether I want to make new investments. You know, where you're at in the cycle is kind of important. You know, if you feel like you're at the bottom of a cycle to the, let's say, 60, 70% of the way through a cycle, that's like the ideal time to buy because, like I've always said, can't buy low and sell high unless you buy low. Totally. And so, <laughs> and so I know that's, it's, it's true though, you know, and, and so you got to have the guts to buy when things are cheap. And that usually means there's some uncertainty about the future. But I always think that, you know, at the beginning of a downturn, you don't want to be catching a falling knife. You don't know, like, as things are falling, how far they're going to go. But once they stabilize and they even start to look like, all right, well, it looks like this cycle's kind of ending, then you can kind of pounce and realize, like, all right, well, what are the chances it's going to go way back down again? That's usually not the way these economies work. So that was my big takeaway. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. I'm buyer. Yeah, I think this is a great environment. I mean, especially, I'm, I'm grateful that I have just closed my fund because we can allocate and we get good pricing. It's a good, great time. This is going to be a good, great vintage. I, I 100% uh, agree. One thing that I, that I, that also popped up for me was being active with your investments. And I think I may have been convinced to start to think very differently about advisors. So there were some speakers that were really good at, at talking more about active management of your own investments, um, particularly if you have investment acumen. So anyway, that, that came up for me as well. But getting into the rapid fire. Okay, okay. I was gonna, yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, <laughs> I was just going to fluff on. I'll pose the question to you, and then maybe I'll give my answer afterwards. Does that work? Sure. Great. So, Ed, what book is on your nightstand right now? The book on my nightstand is Laws of UX which means 
user experience. I'm studying a bunch of user design stuff. Incredible. I think I probably need to pick up that book if I'm investing in a in a tech business. For me, I can't help but give a few. And the first one is a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. It was a game changer for me. I haven't even heard of that. Oh, it's it's great about how to achieve your goals and chunk it down into daily habits. Oh, I'm the, the worst planner. Yeah, it, it's... You know, it's not about planning. It's just like the action that gets you to where you want to be. One example is like sleep in your exercise clothes if you want to exercise in the morning. Like think things like that that really get you to where you want to be. When I wake up, if I put on my exercise clothes first, I am much more likely to work out. Exactly. That's 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 what this book's all about. But I, a lot of times I'm purposely don't put them on. Because <laughs> I already tricked myself. And all right, the, what else? And the second book is actually the planner that I created for my own book. And it's called The Seven Steps to Becoming a Conscious Investor. Oh. And it's a 14-week program, which is available on the website, only in digital format. And it walks the user through a process of defining their own values and lining up all their resources with their values. That sounds good. Yes. Thank you. I'm excited about that one. Okay. So what do you drink in the morning then? Coffee, tea, or caffeine free? Yeah. As you know, I rotate my habits and I'm currently on Cometeer, which is a frozen coffee that is freshly brewed and then frozen and then you get to drink it as fresh as possible. But I think my current so dilemma, is it so, is, but my current dilemma is- a little is, shishi, to be honest. That's okay. I'm fine being <laughs> shishi. <laughs> don't you know me? Um, I don't even know. My current challenge is, is it mold-free? And uh, oh. that's something I'm thinking about. What about you? Uh, for me, it's coffee, coffee and more coffee. Um, I, I, I need to switch back to tea, but I'm just really in a- major coffee phase right now. Yeah. I'm deep. It's needed. What's giving you hope right now? Well, I would say that this, uh, the point we're at in the economic cycle, I feel like it's a good time and uh, the, you know, uh, big investments in green technology and the shift we're seeing. And I kind of feel like the, it's going to be really expensive, but the economies are going to shift over to cleaner fuels. I hope so. I I couldn't agree with you more that there is an incredible trend towards just innovations like like the sugar beet fiber that do give me hope as well. But for me, I'm actually exploring non-attachment and the philosophy of not being attached to outcomes and Oh my gosh. things. Oh, I've done that. Yeah. That's the best. It's awesome. And it is giving me hope. And it's it's giving me hope in a world where, you know, you open up a social media platform like Instagram and you're just bombarded. It's almost like you're you're being fired at with advertisements. And I think it's it's really great to have another lens for all of that. Yeah, just for the for those who didn't who don't know exactly what that means, a quick summary is if you Take all the actions in the present moment that are the right actions to take. And we all kind of can know what those are to do the right thing or make the right choice or do the right thing. As long as you do that, then you don't need to be worried about what happens after that. You shouldn't be attached to the outcome. And, And that's because you can't control so many of the things that determine outcomes. But the only thing you can control are the actual actions that you take in the present moment. So as long as you take... the best actions that you can think of in every moment, you don't need to worry about what happens after. And I live by that. Yeah. I live by that deeply. It's awesome. I agree. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, me too. It's it's a great it's a great uh, path to be on. We should do this some more on that in another episode. Absolutely. Right, what else we got? 
So what resources do you use to stay up to date? The Economist. Okay. On my end, you know, it's funny because I just started having all the Economist podcasts in my feed. And I, I can tell you that I just, I feel so up to date on the things I need to know versus the news cycle, which keeps you in this kind of, you know, you know, flywheel of what you don't necessarily need to know. So I, I also love The Economist. In fact, did you know that one of The Economist, one of The Economist journalists is based in Dallas? No. Alexandra Bass? No, well, I'm not surprised. They must have loads of them. She used to be in tech and now she's focused on politics, but she's, she's incredible. Um, so she's a great resource here. And then for me, the other one is Africa Big Deal. It's a substack on the startup ecosystem in Africa, and it's mm. a great way to just tap into that. All right. You can give me the summary on that quarterly, just email. Will do, will do. Thinking about, you know, looking back and the advice that you would give to your younger self, what would that be, Ed? Earlier I was saying I think I would party less in college. Okay. I definitely partied in, in high school and college. and Not as much as me. Okay. I don't Maybe. Think, I don't think. Maybe. I mean, I still had a productive young life, but I think it would have been more productive, and I'm not sure I needed all that partying. I'm not sure. You know what I mean? It's kind of like it just was more than I needed. And so looking back, half as much would have still given me the adequate memories. Got it. How about you? For me, I think it would have been understanding this whole concept of uncertainty and that it is inevitable. And it's like very much so directly linked to the non-attachment self-study that I'm doing right now. Exactly. I think that having known that and not having been surprised during COVID, and having had a bit of a slap in the face around uncertainty would have been really great for me. And because we do have some listeners that might be starting their own businesses and looking to our podcast for inspiration, what is one piece of advice you would give to a listener who may be thinking of launching their own business? What would you say? Make sure you have an equipped board. And that does not necessarily mean your investors. You need to make sure that you have the right people who will ask the right questions. And one perfect example of this is at Beyond Capital Ventures, but we're not unique in this. I've seen other funds do it. We literally hand our companies a board template if they need it or want it and say, here's how we think we can have a, a very effective meeting. And we really, we really want them to get the most out of the board relationship. And I see companies that fail at that and it just creates all sorts of issues. I would say just get started now because your first business is probably going to fail and so you might as well get on with it so you can get to your second business and your third business. Sounds good from a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> Maybe your first one will work. Mine didn't. Well, we'll have to dive into that on another episode. So we've got some great topics to revisit. Non-attachment, your first business, even going deeper on some of the trends that we're seeing with purpose-driven business. So we will definitely be back for another episode. But we just wanted to catch you all up on what we have going on. And we always love to hear from you. So in this season, if you have any feedback, of course, always let us know. Awesome. Once again, it's clear that conscious leaders can find a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company in a truly holistic way. And we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me at EA Stevens on Twitter. And you can follow me at Conscious Investor on Instagram. 